Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, This was in our weekly Bible reading plan this past week, and we had already planned to observe the Lord's Supper today. And as I shared in our email, by the way, if you don't get emails from us a couple times a week letting you know what's happening here at First Baptist Kennedy, fill out that connection card, put in your email address, and we'll add you to our system. And the thing I said in the email was, I love it when God puts things together that we uh, don't even, you know, we're not even involved in that planning. He just does it. And he put together for us not only the reading of 1 Corinthians 11, but the also the opportunity to observe the Lord's Supper together today. So that is really cool because 1 Corinthians 11 is about the Lord's Supper. And so I invite you to turn over there with me. We're going to pick up in verse 17 and read through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. And the following directives I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. That Jesus, uh, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you were more discerning with regard to, to our, but if we were more discerning in regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you shall all eat together. Anyone is, who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come. I will give you further instructions. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Whenever we have the Lord's Supper, we do not have kingdom kids because uh, we do Lord's Supper at the end of the service. And some of our kingdom kids aged children have made a decision to trust Christ with their lives. They have been baptized and therefore they can partake in the Lord's Supper. And so we we don't want to uh, take that opportunity away from them. Also, those children who have not made that decision, it's a great testimony. It's a great way to share with them the good news of Jesus by them observing the Lord's Supper. And so we like to keep them in for that reason as well. One brief little addition to an announcement that Rosemary made on the open house after service today. And then we'll pray and then we'll get into 
what the Lord has for us in 1 Corinthians today. We're going to head over after the service. The plan is to end the service a little bit early today. I know what you're thinking. I've been here before. Probably not Pastor Matt, but I'm going to do my best, okay? Uh, and then we're going to go over. You can walk around and go through the front doors, or you can walk around the back way and go through the back way if you know that way, okay? Either way is fine. When we get over there, feel free to just walk around, open doors, check things out, look at things, examine. We do have uh, a downstairs kitchen and an upstairs kitchen, and we'll be serving some light refreshments out of those areas. So grab something, enjoy that. Uh, not too long after we get there, because I know people want to get home and get lunch, but not too long after we get in there and have a chance to look around, we'll have a short little presentation. Uh, it's it's going to be brief. We're not going to take a ton of time here, but we want to have the opportunity to share a few things with you about this work that you just, you saw the pictures. What you didn't see was the inside finish. That's called a teaser, okay? That's a teaser. I didn't want to just show you all the good stuff right away. I wanted you to be wondering, well, we saw what it looked like before, and we saw all the work going on, but what does it look like now? That's what I want you to feel. I want you to be excited about going in and checking it out after service today, okay? So that's the game plan, all right? And so I just want to pause now, and let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare ourselves for the Word of God. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us the scriptures. Through your Holy Spirit, you have inspired the writers to put down what you would have for them to share with us even today. And for that, we give thanks. And even under tough circumstances, such as what this church in Corinth was going through, God, we have much to learn. And so I pray that you would open our minds, help, help us to be clear in our thinking about what you have to say. Help our hearts to be softened. That we will want to hear from you. And God, help us to take what you teach us today and take it home with us. Help us to live out what you have to share with us today. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, so there is great power and joy in symbolic rituals in our life. Uh, I was thinking about what are some of those symbolic rituals. Like when you have a birthday, what are some of those symbolic rituals, right? Someone is making a cake uh, of some kind, or if you're, if you're me, I prefer pie, but just follow that away. November 8th, it's coming, just follow it away, okay? But you have a cake, right? You put the candles on there, everybody gathers around, you sing happy birthday, you blow out the candles. It's just a, it's a fun, you know, ritual, right? You know, or, or if you think about when Christmas season rolls around, and you put up your Christmas tree, and you put your gifts underneath it, and, and you open it either Christmas Eve, some families, or a lot of families on Christmas Day, you gather around and you exchange those gifts, right? It's, it's one of those fun, joy-filled rituals, right? And I was thinking about, you know, like when you get married, too, there's a ritual in that, right? And you get together with all your friends and family, you stand before them, you make those vows, and one of the, one of the parts of that ritual is you, is you exchange rings, and there's there's a lot of symbolism in these things, right? And that's, that ritual symbolism can have deep meaning and can bring deep joy in our lives. And the Lord's Supper is one of those things. It is a, it is a symbolic, meaningful, joy-filled ritual in which we explore as a church and we engage in as a church. And this is what we, we call it an ordinance because someone ordained that we do that. Someone said, I have in mind that you should do this thing as a way to remember something important, and that's Jesus. Jesus ordained for us this Lord's Supper that we're going to take at the end of service today. 
There's two ordinances in our church that we observe, the Lord's Supper being one of them, and of course baptism being the other. And these, these symbolic rituals are important to us, not only because Jesus engaged in them himself, but because Jesus told us, I want you to keep doing these things. These things are important for your faith as a community to continue to observe both baptism and the Lord's Supper. And a while ago, we were thinking through this together, and we kind of identified what we felt were uh, five themes within the Lord's Supper that are undeniably there in the Scriptures. And so I want to take a moment and explore those five themes together. I want to start, though, not by diving right into those five themes. That's where we're going to go next. But I want to briefly touch on three important contexts so that we can kind of get a, a good deep roots into what the Lord's Supper is and then explore more of those themes or the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Okay, So there's three contexts that I think we'll, I'm going to touch on them briefly, as briefly as I can, that are going to help us out. And the first one is what we just read. The first context we've got to pay attention to is what we just read in 1 Corinthians. I shared with you last time is that there is no perfect church. I think, our, I think we've got a fantastic church. We're not perfect by far. Uh, none of us are. But if there's one church that you point to as the poster child for the wild, crazy, messed up, you know, just, just a wild church, it would be the church in Corinth. They got all sorts of stuff going on. They're playing favoritism with their leaders. Uh, they're suing one another. There's a bunch of sexual immorality happening in the church. Uh, and one of the things that was taking place is, is uh, how, how they celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so it was a little bit different than what we, what we do today. When they would gather for the Lord's Supper, it would often revolve around a meal. It wouldn't just be kind of what we do when we take the Lord's Supper at the end of the service or maybe some churches do at the beginning or whatever. It wasn't just that. They, they made a pretty big deal because... The early church, you know, they met in each other's homes. They worshiped. They didn't have a church building like we do, so they met in one another's homes. Usually whoever was the wealthiest had the biggest home, and so that's where they would meet because they needed the room for all the people together. And so when they gathered together, they would have a meal, and a part of that meal would be the Lord's Supper. And the way they did it traditionally was that they would have the breaking of the bread at the beginning of their meal together, and they would end the service by drinking from a common cup, uh, the cup of thanksgiving. And so it bookended their mealtime fellowship together. Now, what's kind of interesting about that that's taking place in Corinth is you have those who had plenty. You have those who were wealthy. And you had the poor among them gathering in the same place to fellowship and to take the Lord's Supper and worship together. And that's a beautiful picture. That's, that's exactly how it should be in the church. You should have people from all walks of life in a congregation. Whatever the, whatever the makeup of the community is should be reflected in the makeup of the congregation. And I'm thankful that we do have that. But in this church, those who are wealthy, they unfortunately were the ones that were making some bad decisions. We read about it in here. It sounds kind of crazy. But they would get together and they would have their own private meal before everybody else showed up. And by the time everybody else showed up, they were not only full, but they were happy. Happy from what? I use that term lightly, okay? But they were, they were also drinking, okay? They, they got drunk on wine. Now, just some, this is nuts to me. This is, this is like a church service with a potluck, Lord's Supper, and then you got all this debauchery going on. 
just one bad decision after another. I just imagine what Paul thought. You know, Paul, Paul helped start this church, and then he gets word that things are falling apart, and so he starts writing these letters like, hey, what in the world is going on? And so they gather at a home. They eat. Those who, have, uh, those who were wealthy gathered first. They had their food. They had their drink. Then everybody else showed up. Sometimes there wasn't enough for them. And it just, it was, it just made everything look foolish. So that's the first context. That's why Paul is addressing this in 1 Corinthians. He's trying to correct some of this really bad behavior. Okay, But the reason he's trying to correct this bad behavior is because when they gathered together, particularly as they uh, engaged in the Lord's Supper together, that this was a really big deal. This is really important for the church. And he saw that they were taking this beautiful, symbolic thing and they were making a mess of it. As I said earlier, the second, that's the first context. The second context is the reason Paul felt so strongly about it, and you read it in, or we read it together in 1 Corinthians 11, is because Paul didn't make this up. He didn't come up with a neat way to uh, engage in worship together through the taking of the bread and the cup. That wasn't Paul's idea. It wasn't the early church's idea. It wasn't Peter's idea, right? It was Jesus' idea. This is something that Jesus ordained for the church to do now and forever. And Paul says, we got to understand that context. This has been given to us by Jesus himself. That's what he says. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you, verse 23. So this is a, this is a significant thing because it's not just what's taking place in Corinth. It's what Jesus ordained for the church. And he wants to see them do it the right way. And so he's correcting some of that. In the third and final context, before we jump over to a few themes or some of the meaning of the Lord's Supper, the final context is what Jesus does in providing us with this uh, ordinance is he, he is taking what took place in the Old Testament and he is bringing it to a whole new level. Now in the Old Testament, you can go and read it in Exodus chapter 12. I won't read it for you, but if you go back and read in Exodus chapter 12, you'll find that God's people are in slavery in Egypt. You may have heard this story before. They got movies about it and everything, all right? So you got the, the, uh, the Jewish folks, the Hebrew, also known as the Hebrews, God's chosen people. They're in slavery in Egypt for 400 plus years until God raises up a leader for them. What was his name? Do you know? You know, Moses. That's right. If you're still awake, you get a gold star if you got that right. Okay. So you got Moses there, and Moses is the leader of God's people, and he's trying to get them out of Egypt, but he's coming across a uh, very strong-willed, hard-headed, godless leader of the Egyptians, the Pharaoh. And no matter what God does to the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh will not let God's people go. There's a whole song. I won't sing it, but you know it. You can, maybe we can sing it on the way to the, to the education building today. But God finally gets to the place where he takes the most extreme measure you can imagine. He says, every firstborn in Egypt, I will strike down. And God gave to his people a way out from under his wrath. And the way out from under his wrath is they would take a Passover, or they would take a lamb that becomes known as a Passover lamb. They would shed the blood of that lamb. They put it over their doorposts. And when the angel of death came through and saw the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, the angel would pass over that house. And no one in that house would be harmed. And that, that celebration that the Jewish people came to call Passover, 
is what Jesus is celebrating with his disciples when he says, now that Passover lamb that saved lives back then, that's me. I'm now the ultimate Passover lamb. I got to watching a show on uh, Netflix called Alone. Raise your hand if you have heard or seen the show Alone. Anybody? Okay, a few of you. All right. So just to give you a little idea, they take 10, contest uh, 10 contestants. They let them choose 10 items that they need to survive in the wilderness, and they put them alone in some remote part of the world, usually in Canada, somewhere around there. And they, they just try to survive as long as they possibly can. They don't know what the other people around them are doing. They don't know how anybody's doing. They don't have any communication with their family. They don't have any help from the outside. They just have to make it themselves. And what I, I was just watching this last season, I thought it was really interesting, is that there was more than one contestant trying to survive in the wilderness. Uh, and there was more than one that really had a hard time with with having to kill every day in order to live. They talked about that. That they, they really honored the sacrifice of the animals around them that they had, and they, only, they don't have guns. They got like knives and bows and arrows. I mean, it is rudimentary, and, and they're figuring out a way. But they, they really felt deeply about what, that they had to take a life in order to live. And that is true of us today. We, we're far removed. Most of us are far removed from that reality. But that's true of us today. Something has to die in order for us to live, right? Even if you're a vegetarian, right? Uh, which I'm not. I know that's shocking, but I'm not, right? Like, e even, if, even if that's all you eat is vegetables, you, you've got to kill that plant in order to consume that plant, right? Something has to die in order for us to live. That basic principle is at work in the Passover and in what Jesus is doing on the cross. That lamb had to die in order to show the guilt and remorse for sin that the person who lived in that home where that blood of the lamb was over the doorpost, this is ritual. This, this is symbolism. This is what it represented. Something died so that they could live. And Jesus takes that same idea and he transforms it into what we call the Lord's Supper. And in the Lord's Supper, he says, this body or this bread that we're breaking at the beginning of this meal, this is like my body that's going to be broken on the cross for you. What is he saying? He's saying, I am going to die so that you can live. I'm going to go to the cross and spill my blood. So when you drink this cup, it is a representation of the blood that Jesus spills on the cross. He's saying, I'm going to spill my blood on the cross so that you can live. I'm going to die so that you can live. Now those are the three contexts of the Lord's Supper. Church in Corinth, Jesus giving his disciples the Lord's Supper, which is derived thirdly from the Sabbath. Now what does all this mean? We're already touching on some of it, but there are five big themes in the New Testament that I think help us help maybe perhaps deepen our appreciation and our experience of taking the Lord's Supper together. The first one, which is maybe the most obvious one, is that the theme, one of the themes of the Lord's Supper is the theme of remembering. It's, it's maybe the most obvious. In fact, it's, it's, it's on our Lord's Supper table. Now, now, again, Paul didn't make that up. Peter didn't make that up. 
Jesus uttered those words. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus told his disciples that this is not a one-time event. I want you to continue to do this in remembrance of me. And what are we remembering? We've already touched on it, so I'll just recap briefly. But the beauty of the Lord's Supper is that we are remembering mentally, spiritually, as we're taking those elements, that they represent Jesus and what he has done for us. And that remembering should lead us to the second thing. That remembering should lead us to thanksgiving. As we said earlier, they would open the meal, the fellowship meal together by the breaking of the bread. And when Jesus did that, you can read this in Matthew 26. When Jesus did that, he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. And then when he took that cup, he gave thanks before passing the cup around. So what does that tell us? It tells us that there's something about the Lord's Supper. It represents the sacrifice of Jesus. So we're remembering that. And as we're remembering that, it should elicit in us thanksgiving. That Jesus didn't have to die for me and you. He chose. You and I aren't worthy of his death. But he did it anyways. This is the kind of God that we serve. Is that he willingly gave his life for us. What should be our response? I think Jesus shows us when he gives thanks. Mirroring for us our response as we take the Lord's Supper. We give thanks. In fact, uh, the Greek, there's a Greek phrase there, eucharisto. Uh, it's where we get the term eucharist. That means to give thanks. If you've ever heard the word eucharist before, it means to give thanks. And that's what we're doing when we take the Lord's Supper is we are giving thanks that God gave his life. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, gave his life for us. But there's something interesting about the Lord's Supper, and this is our third theme, is we don't do it together, or we don't do it alone, we do it together. That, that we come together. In fact, uh, you, you probably heard it before uh, called communion. That word communion comes from a Greek word that is, uh, is called it's koinonia, and it means a participation or a fellowship, participating with one another. And that communion, that coming together, that co-union, coming together, that's how we take the Lord's Supper. We don't take the Lord's Supper individually. I don't go home and say, you know, I'm up for a snack, but I don't want a lot. I like some crackers, but I want them to taste really bad, and then I take the Lord's Supper. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just hang in there. We'll get to it later today, and you'll know what I'm talking about, okay? But we don't do it individually. We do it collectively. It is a communion opportunity. So what is this? It is, it is communing. Going back to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation, koinonia, fellowship, coming together in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? Which the body of Christ is another way of talking about the church itself. There is one loaf, Paul says. We who are many are one body, for we share that one loaf. What, what is he saying? He's saying that we are called the body of Christ as a church. And so when we come together, we are taking that Lord's Supper as a body, as a church. We do this together 
communing together. The fourth thing, the fourth theme that we see in the Lord's Supper is this idea of examining. We read about this. Uh, the church in Corinth, as we said, they're, they're a hot mess. They've they got a lot of stuff going on. And Paul says, listen, if you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Jesus. Paul's saying it's important for us in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11 to examine ourselves before we eat the bread and drink from the cup. That's what we need to do. We need to examine ourselves so that we do not take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Now, I think there's three ways that we should examine ourselves. And when we get to the invitation today, uh, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to the Lord. And when we get to that invitation, these are ways in which you can begin to pray during that invitation and respond to the Lord through examining yourself and preparing yourself to take the Lord's Supper. The first one is the most obvious one, which is there is an assumption here by Paul, clearly stated, that this Lord's Supper is for someone who is a part of the body of Christ. In other words, the Lord's Supper is for someone who is a believer. So the first examining question you can ask yourself is, am I a believer? Have I been born again? Am I a Christian? Do I trust Jesus with my soul? Do I, do I believe that he is the Son of God? Do I believe that his death on the cross did in fact cover my sins? Do I believe that his righteous and perfect life, is, is, that record has been given to me and therefore I'm made right with God simply by having faith in Christ? If that's true of you, then you are welcome to partake in the Lord's Supper. If that's not true of you, then the invitation is a chance to make that true. God is calling you into that relationship with him. God is inviting you to be a part of his family. Our response is yes in faith. Is that your response? Have you made that decision? Some of you have. You made it a long time ago. Praise the God. Praise God for that. Maybe God has been speaking to some of you. Maybe that's why you're even here today because you, you want that, but you're just not sure. How, how, do I, how do I get in on that? It is by faith that we are saved, not by our own works. The salvation that Jesus offered, he gives to you free of charge because he paid the price. That's what the cross means. And so he offers it to you as a gift, so he's holding it out there, and will you receive it? By faith, will you, will you receive that gift of salvation? And if you have, this is a chance to reflect on that. And if not, this is a chance to receive it. That's the first most obvious and most, uh, I won't say it's the most important, but it's certainly the first step when it comes to examining ourselves to take the Lord's Supper. The second is this, is that we are called to consider, examine our relationship with others. To see if there's brokenness in some relationship that we are in some way a part of, at fault for in some way. This speaks directly to what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, we got a real problem here. Y'all are not loving each other the way Jesus has loved you. You're being selfish. You're being unkind to one another as you take the Lord's Supper. And God is going to discipline you for that. So it's a big deal. 
So Paul is seeing that you don't take the Lord's Supper in a vacuum. We've already talked about that. And so you've got to examine, what are my relationships with those around me? Is there, is there something I need to do? To, is there forgiveness I need to extend? Is there sin I need to confess? Is there a broken relationship that I, on my end, need to do what I can to try to mend? And so as we come to the Lord's Supper, it's a chance to, to think about those things and to pray and examine ourselves and see if there's work there to be done. And if there is, God will graciously help us do it. Third and last way that we examine ourselves is to see not only is there brokenness in our relationship with others, but is there brokenness in my relationship with God? I'm a Christian but I, I have sin that's lingering in my life. I've got some stronghold that, that I can't seem to shake. Or there's sin I'm engaging in, and I'm not even talking to God about it. Now, now don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to say God doesn't want that sin to linger in your life. He doesn't want it to have control of your life. He doesn't want to see you suffer the effects of sin. He wants you to be free of it. That's why we confess it. And so the third examination is to say, Lord, is there sin in my life between me and you? Is there something I need to confess? Is there some area of my life that I've got, it's, it's a closed off closet. The lights are off, no one goes in. I don't, I don't let God in, I don't let anybody in. That's my little corner of my life where I get to enjoy my sin. But the truth is you don't enjoy it. Not for long, for a moment, but not for long, right? Sin, sin is like poison. We drink it because we're thirsty only to find that it's destroying us from the inside out. And God wants you to be free from that. So you examine yourself and your relationship with God and see if there is sin, and if so, you confess it. The last one. The last part of, or the last theme, and I, let me just say there's probably more. Maybe you're thinking of a few things, but these are just the five that, that we kind of have identified. Uh, the fifth one is anticipating. The fifth one is anticipating. What are we anticipating? Jesus says in Mark 14, 25, he says, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. We already read in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. What are we anticipating when we take the Lord's Supper? We're anticipating that this is a symbolic meal for which there is a reality behind it that one day we will enjoy at a level that we can't even comprehend here and now. This is just, this is a, this is a snack and then we're going to get to the banquet table in heaven and we're going to have a feast. That's going to happen when Christ returns. Jesus will come back and those things will become reality. And we get to look forward to that. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we say, God, I know this world's not what it's supposed to be. I know I'm not, I'm not who I'm supposed to be. We're all trying. We're all failing. We all feel that sense that we're coming up short. Our consolation in this life is to know that Jesus more than makes up for our weaknesses and covers our sins. But even more than that, one day that ache that you and I feel for a perfect world, one day that ache you and I feel to be a perfect person that honors God in every way, one day that desire will be fulfilled when Christ comes. And what was a snack becomes a feast. That's coming. And so we're anticipating 
the return of Christ, and the joy we will share at that table together. Those are the five things. Let's go back to examining. Is there brokenness in your relationship with others? Is there sin in your life between you and the Lord? But first and foremost, are you in Christ? Let those three ways of examining your heart be a part of what we're about to do as we engage in this invitation. Okay? Let's pray together. God, you are infinitely wise. And what we could not have come up with on our own, you and your amazing imagination have given us this great gift that we call the Lord's Supper. This beautiful, symbolic moment that should be taking place in the life of the church where we can gather together to remember, to give thanks, to examine, to anticipate. Father, we thank you that your word promises us that there's something special about your presence with us when we gather and worship and take the Lord's Supper together. And so we, we just ask that you would speak, you would work in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? If you need prayer, I'll be down for